Hello, this is Ian Wolfe, producer of Diffusion Science Radio. This show depends on your support. Please make a donation directly with the PayPal button at www.diffusionradio.com or support Diffusion by downloading a free audiobook from audibletrial.com science or go to diffusionradio.com support and click on an Amazon link or buy my nanodrones. This show was first broadcast on the 22nd of July, 2013. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. <sighs> Astro seismology, magnetism, the dark side, genetically engineered potatoes, planetoid, planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special science spoken word edition, I bring you highlights from the science poetry night held at the Harold Park Hotel last week. But first up, here's the news. P for power. Nintendo Wii. Watts from waste. Bathroom battery breakthrough. So read the headlines from a story about using urine in a bacterial fuel cell to generate electricity for a smartphone. It's a funny image and interesting technology, but I've seen something like it for years. It's part of a trend. There was a story about Bristol Robots Laboratory getting an Engineering and Physical Science Research Council grant in 2010, and an earlier story from Singapore. In 2005, at Singapore's Institute of Bioengineering and Nanotechnology, they created a credit card-sized battery powered by urine as a disposable power source for medical test kits. Many medical diagnostic kits analyse the content of urine, for conditions such as diabetes, or to check pregnancy, so the Singaporean researchers had the clever idea of using the urine for power, while it was going on to the diagnostic electronics anyway. Your typical battery cell consists of two different metals linked by salty liquid. This 1.5 volt medical battery works by a chemical reaction between a strip of copper and a strip of magnesium, activated by urine wetting a copper salt between them. It runs for 90 minutes. And of course, there's US Army Meal Ready to Eat MRE rations designed in 2004 to be rehydrated by a soldier's urine. The current story is about Yanis Yeropoulos and his team from the Bristol Robotics Laboratory publishing a paper about a bacterial fuel cell powered by urine in the Royal Society of Chemistry's journal Physical Chemistry, Chemical Physics. The paper is titled Waste to Real Energy, the first MFC-powered mobile phone. As Dr Yeropoulos points out in the press release, we'll never run out of urine. This is doubly true of the battery pig farms in Europe, where pig urine is a toxic waste disposal problem. The team grew bacteria on carbon fibre anodes placed inside ceramic cylinders. Through a cascade of microbial fuel cells the size of a car battery, the MFC, 
the team charged a smartphone with enough power to make a brief phone call, send some text, and browse the web, but not yet enough power to fully recharge the battery. Microbial fuel cells work by harvesting electricity made by a colony of bacteria that eats compounds in the urine, like urea and bilirubin. This is the first time they've been able to directly recharge the battery of a device as power-hungry as a mobile phone with a microbial fuel cell. The team are bidding for funding to develop a smart toilet for the US and South Africa. Hopefully, while they're collecting urine for electricity, they can also collect and extract the phosphorus for use in fertilising crops. The world is running out of phosphorus mines for fertiliser, so it's time we stop dumping the stuff into the sea and harvest it instead. Smart toilets were big in Japan in 2009 for medical diagnosis. They probably should have been using the Singaporean diagnostic kits in the design. The toilets not only analyse urine, but also measure your weight, body mass index, and blood pressure. This information, along with your blood sugar levels, are sent by Wi-Fi to your PC and by Bluetooth to your smartphone. After all, if you have a chronic health problem like diabetes, and you're going to sit there at least once a day, why not use your toilet to constantly monitor your health in the least intrusive way? And finally, also in 2009, Professor Geraldine Bott of Ohio University was working on extracting hydrogen from urine to power conventional hydrogen fuel cells by electrolysis. Electrolysis splits water into hydrogen and oxygen, and is easier to do in a salty solution. She estimates that when she scales it up, her technology could extract enough hydrogen to power cars and use farm waste to generate electricity. The only problem is that hydrogen is extremely flammable. It sounds like an explosion waiting to happen. Maybe, in years to come, we'll all have smart toilets to generate power with microbes, monitor our health, and extract phosphorus for the crops. But maybe the hydrogen extraction can only happen in the remote countryside where accidents will have less fatalities. Electricity and urine. They keep being brought together. Just don't pee on electric fences. Last week, a science spoken word event hosted at the Harold Park Hotel was organised by Jack Peck, convener of the Word in Hand for the Open Mic, Ariel Pavez, convener of the Blue Space Poetry Jam for the Poetry Jam competition, together with Rebecca Rose of the Australian Science Communicators and featuring Tug Dumley and Brother Child. And a small disclaimer, I'm also on the committee of the Australian Science Communicators, and I stepped up to the open mic section and performed the Beard Plague piece you heard in last week's show. The night went a little too long to fit into the show, so here's a few highlights to give you the flavour. The open mic was for anyone to speak for up to five minutes. So here's Ian Bryce at the open mic with an ode to the Higgs boson. Okay, now we need your cooperation here. We've got a chorus that I'd like you all to sing. I've distributed the words around the room. Some of you have got a larger sheet which gives the music. So if you can't read music, you might pass that around the table to someone who you think might be able to read the music. And I'm going to start off by reading you, by singing you the chorus to give you an idea of how it goes. I appeared to the world in July 2012 and made headlines in every newspaper. I'm telling you this because I am the Higgs in the universe game. I'm a winner. 
Okay, now let's all try and get, see if we can get into that. I uh, appeared to the world in July 2012 and made headlines in every newspaper. I'm telling you this because I am the Higgs in the universe game. I'm a winner. The Large Hadron Collider located at CERN, costing more than the budget of London, smashing protons together at nearly light speed, was needed to make the Higgs boson. They say I'm a star and loaded with charm, but I'm not a quark or a gluon. I'm so enigmatic that all they can do is call me the Higgs. I'm a boson. Excuse me for being a bit hard to wake up. I was having a slumber most peaceful. I haven't been seen for 13 billion years, which is longer than your Rip Van Winkle. Now I have been hailed as the particle of God, and while boffins recoil from such language, many aspects of me might foretell destiny. You'll agree by the end of this message. This exciting discovery takes longer to tell. Tonight is too short an oration. If you'd like to learn more, I'll give an encore if you just stay tuned to this station. Now we get into the chorus now. I appeared to the world in July 2012 and made headlines in every newspaper. I'm telling you this because I am the Higgs in the universe game. I'm a winner. Now there are many verses in between that describe the technical aspects that we don't have time for tonight. So I'm going to... There's about 77 verses in all. I used to teach engineering and rocket science, so, so we're going to skip to the end, and so I'm getting to the last bit now. Now we know the Higgs boson was quite hard to find, but it earns its discoverers much kudos. It plays a star role in the world as we know it, and the origin and fate of the cosmos. Chorus. I appeared to the world in July 2012 and made headlines in every newspaper. I'm telling you this because I am the Higgs in the universe game. I'm a winner. The virtual Higgs is believed everywhere, but a real one, a task Herculean. It's detected at CERN through a billion events of protons in head-on collision. Then a histogram chart shows an unexpected bump. There it is there. Normally this would be accompanied with slides. Normally there'd be an animation for each verse which explains it all to you. <laughs> then a histogram chart shows an unexpected bump at a pace 1 to 5 GeV. And this graph suggests some additional events from a source having this energy. This source can't be seen as its life is too short, 10 to minus 23 seconds. But a particle new, it just has to be. With more tests, will its properties beckon? The Large Hadron Collider is a wonder in itself, with a trillion protons per bunch, providing 600 million collisions per second, a mere 170 were Higgs ones. The machines create temperatures hard to describe. They're not made by nature since Big Bang. At a billion, trillion, trillion degrees makes the sun look like an ice cube. Even the magnets are quite the extreme. At two degrees Kelvin they run. It's colder than nature has ever achieved. Perhaps alien scientists have done. Well, I've shown you how scientists achieve more than gods. So it's time to wrap up this epistle. Who do you think really runs our cosmos? Higgs boson, the godless particle. 
I appeared to the world in July 2012 and made headlines in every newspaper. I'm telling you this because I am the Higgs in the universe game. I'm a winner. Thank you. Ian Bryce. Who'd have thought? At one moment, we're thinking the whole Earth was going to get sucked into a black hole created by the Large Hadron Collider. And the next moment, we're singing along <laughs> to a song about the boson. That was rocket engineer Ian Bryce, who'll be back later for the Poetry Slam. Next up, here's Vanessa Hill. When you wish upon a star, do you really think that wish goes far? If it travelled at the speed of light, it wouldn't get there overnight. If you wished upon Orion's left foot, your heartfelt desires best stay put. A star 860 light years away, your wish may experience a short delay. When you wish with your heart and soul, it may be absorbed into a supermassive black hole. Then what happens to that wish of yours? It no longer flies, dreams, or soars. It begins the process of spaghettification. I won't leave that to your imagination. Entering a strong gravitational field, your wish's shape has to yield. It's stretched and compressed and stretched and stretched until its shape appears quite far-fetched. Soon your wish only resembles a noodle being slurped and swallowed by a labradoodle. <laughs> and if your wish has any luminosity, that's no faster than escape velocity. While you're still gaily singing, there's no hope your wish is bringing. When you wish into the sky, where your thoughts go is quite awry. It may not be a happy place very deep in outer space. If your wishes transcend the earth, make sure they're of little worth. I don't mean to burst your bubble, but all that sees deep space is Hubble. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And now, Lou Steer. Physics is not the only science. So I'm bringing you an epic saga of paleontology and evolution. If you saw First Footsteps the other night on the ABC, you'll have some idea of what I'm going to be talking about. If you didn't, you should have. These trees were old, even then in the swamps, watching mud ooze between their long bent roots, gnarled as dowagers, strangler vines bulging and knotted, straining for life, twining the supporting branches in a passionate embrace, their leaves like soft tongues last tasting the honey drops of sunshine. The sun was hotter then, beating down, Raising young trees from the beds of skinny reeds. Trees jostled for heat and air, stretching ever higher to find the clean air. And the weaker saplings withered, gently sliding back into the thick black sludge of rotting corpses. 
giant zooming insects nest in their secret places, their whirring buzz the only sound breaking the silence of the forest. In the distance, something moves, tearing through the underground, sloshing through the black waters of the lagoon. Vines creak, trunks crash to the forest floor. The monster approaches. So tall, its head blots out the sun. So massive, its footsteps leave craters in its wake. Its heavy head sways slowly from side to side as it peers through the foliage, searching for any movement. A huge goanna, slower than the rest, takes a moment too long to slide away. The monster bends its head, seizes the goanna with its beak, beats it against a tree trunk, nudges the still struggling goanna onto its back. The monster snaps its victim's neck with one sure snap. Helpless now, the goanna has no voice and cannot scream as the monster tears its underbelly open, revealing hot, steaming entrails and, with the tip of its beak, plucks them out as delicately as a gourmet removing an oyster from a shell with a fine silver pick. It finishes and raises its head upward, so the last delicate trails of warm flesh slide down its throat. It screams in satisfaction. The goanna's corpse slides back into the lagoon where the creeping things will do their work. The monster takes a step forward, but as it does so, the earth shakes, not from those mighty footsteps, but from the pressures of its own internal violence. Small, frightened birds take to the air from the canopy. Smaller, scaled and furred creatures desperately search for shelter. The monster cannot hide. It has no refuge. It stands resolute as the earth buckles and liquefies around it, trapping it. It tries to move, but is held fast. As the quake continues, it shakes, it shrieks now in fear. It flaps its wings in vain. It's an aerodynamic mess. It flails, it fails, it falls. Five million years later, a crew of dominant bipedal mammals arrives in a dry and arid land. They blast the rock in twisted caves to expose the bones of beasts that mythology never knew and no human ever saw. They find a massive thigh bone Fragments of a thick skull bearing a beak so mighty it can shear straight through bone. Behold, one mammal exclaims, it's the demon duck of doom. Thank you, Lou. Lou Steer. Lou Steer will be back for the Poetry Slam later. Next, Ricky Panowitz. Science rhymes with nothing a denier wants to hear. Of all we know of nothing, science quells no fear. The irrefutable truth of forces, the elements of nature, is science just a question mark in life's nomenclature? Is science understanding or more a question posed? Does science underpin what little that we know? Is science our advancement as we use it on ourselves? Does with science lie great wisdom, hapless knowledge befell? Science, both good and evil, is as wrong as it is right. Is science exact in fact or foe? Does science shine the light? 
Like gods, we worship science, then nail it to a cross to taunt its inconvenient truth and mourn to fax its loss. Science once was heresy to those of narrow mind. Science still bears doubt stigmata, and yet we ask of science why. Is science just a concept, a gentleman, a lout? Is science all we perceive to find, all we perceive to doubt? So know what's scientific and what scientific's not. Is it science or its detractors who have scientifically lost the plot? Thank you. The Poetry Slam gives you a maximum of two minutes for your spoken word or poetry and requires judges chosen randomly from the audience to score the entries so that a winner can be chosen and awarded a $100 prize. We only have time for two entries, so here's Lou Steer with hers. Here I am in my state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, fully computerized titanium alloy, hermetically sealed ship, surfing the solar winds. Above me, the hard, hot points of a million stars. Below me, a mottled blue opal. I remember the sting of salt in my face as I surfed the ocean waves, as I sailed the reef from Whitsunday to Cape Trib, from Cairns to Fiji to Samoa to Niue to Tonga, hopping from island to island, the deep dark blue lapping my fragile wooden craft made with my own hands, alone in a blue desert. Never lonely, there is always life in the desert. Seagulls screeched near land, flying fish flipped. Dolphins pearled in my wake, their bucking and leaping an echo of my own boat cresting the waves. I remember storms. The sky, a vast bruise pressing down. The sea like lead, like pewter, like mercury, like quicksilver. Riding those monstrous waves like a bucking bronco. My little boat bending and flexing but never breaking. I remember the sun after the storm, the rosy welcome dawn, the sky tear-stained like the face of my lover after a quarrel, the sea like a mirror, my boat like a skate over ice. If I step outside of my new state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, fully computerised, titanium alloy, hermetically sealed ship, I will be the only thing alive in the hell of endless night. No little green men, no dripping fangs, no space teddy bears. This is no desert, it's a void. I remember diving off broom, a whale shark, awesome, stupendous, colossal, leviathan itself. Swimming beside its bulk, I stretched out my hand and found the true meaning of shark skin. It opened its maw, ready to swallow the universe. I knew how Jonah felt when invited to enter the belly of the beast. The monsters of the deep are the only true aliens. Blue, the only colour visible from space. Luz Thier, thank you. Hand for Lou. And finally, here's Ian Bryce's Poetry Slam entry that won him the $100 prize. Okay, now my poem talks about some of the unintended bad consequences of science. And my poem is a rejoinder to someone else's poem which was on the science show. And I'm going to read the other poem first, making clear that the first one isn't mine. 
First one's called Artificial Insemination or the Cow's Lament. I have just given birth to a calf, sir, and with motherly pride I am full. But pray do not laugh and please do not chaff when I tell you I've not had a bull. The farmyard's a drearier place, sir. The meadows are no longer gay since the one bit of fun in the d year's dismal run has by science been taken away. No bull has embraced me with passion. I've not had the ghost of a binge. I haven't been loved. I've been ruthlessly shoved by a girl with a flaming syringe. <laughs> you may say that's all very well, sir. There are some things a cow should not say. But those veterinary tarts who play with our parts, they still get it the old-fashioned way. Now, my own contribution, I thought the real loser here was the bull, being a male, so the bulls despair. They say I'm a champion bull, sir. My genes are the best ones to sow. My brothers all got the unkindest cut, but with pride, I still swing to and fro. <laughs> my grandfather told me his exploits of springtime's the natural way. He and his mates would rush through the gates and see how many cows they could lay. Now I've fathered some thousands of calves, sir, yet I've not seen a flesh and blood heifer. For me, it's a vet with a latex pipette in a fiberglass cow that they proffer. Darwin showed us behaviours passed down, sir. We seek romance to help us beget. If this practice adheres, for the next thousand years, bulls will lust for the most skilful vet. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. Congratulations to Ian Bryce, and well done everyone who stepped up to the microphone. You can find out more about the Word in Hand at www.wordinhand.org, and the Blue Space Poetry Slam at www.bluespacepoetryjam.com.au, and the Australian Science Communicators at www.asc.asn.au. You'll be able to hear more selections from the night on the Community Radio Network's All the Best Show, at www.allthebestradio.com in a future episode. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement, and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network to 16 different stations and syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. Ask your local community radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the show were Ian Bryce, Vanessa Hill, Lou Steer, and Ricky Panowitz. A big thank you to Jack Peck of The Word in Hand, Ariel Pavez of the Blue Space Poetry Jam, Rebecca Rose from the Australian Science Communicators for organising the event, and the Harold Park Hotel for hosting the event. A special thank you to Merrin Winchester from All the Best for sending me a copy of her recording of the night. My recorder was not up to the job. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.